right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Ollie. And this is Scott. This is Science in Between. And, and here we are. Episode 70, Scott. Seven zero, baby. Yeah. That is- so that that is uh, that's a bigger number than 69 or 68 there you know or we could make a long list of numbers <laughs> one might say it's an infinite list yes of numbers that 70 is larger than uh, and at, also smaller smaller than yeah. yeah so if you listen to the last episode uh i felt like that we needed to start off with some you know some fact checks so some fact checking <laughs> <laughs> this is important stuff right here yeah um because i missed that super- it's like Wait. Have you ever have you ever seen um pardon my interruption? You ever see that show on yeah. ESPN? Yeah. They always have a guy at the end who's like, Hey, these are the things you got right and these are the things you got wrong. Yeah. Basically an, an active fact checker. I feel we, like we need that in this right. show. Well, we need a fact checker. Maybe maybe that's what Enzo could do now that he's not doing sound editing for us anymore. Yeah, maybe. I, I I'm gonna highly doubt that. But yeah, um, I'm gonna highly doubt it too. But he's a, he's uh, a busy guy. He's a busy guy. Oh, yeah. So I misstepped on a couple things. Um, so we talked a little bit about, and near the end of the episode, this is important stuff. We talked about Hanna Barbera and Sid and Marty Croft. Hanna Barbera are the you know the creators. They're of the you know the Flintstones, the Jetsons, and all that stuff. Like um, stuff. They are in fact dead. Um, they are. Yeah. They, Joseph Barbera passed away in 2006, mm-hmm. and William Hanna passed away in 2001. Um, however, I said, and I quote, Sid and Marty Croft are way dead, not just dead, <laughs> way dead, way dead. <laughs> and they're not just not dead. They're not way dead either. <laughs> they, they are, um, you know, up in age. So they're w- well in their eighties and nineties. Uh, but we are still thankful to have Sid and Marty Croft, the sibling team who created the great things like HR Puff and stuff and land of the lost and Even the sea monsters. Yeah. And so much else. HR Puff and stuff. Was that... <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> and that flute. I don't oh. know about the best, but okay. <laughs> it Witchy was poo. a thing. Witchy poo. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anybody under like you know 40 has no idea what we're talking about and if they were to go google it hr puff and stuff they'd be like what exactly there was a whole generation of people that were on drugs right i was gonna say but now that that uh that marijuana is more widely available in this country maybe there there'll be a resurgence of uh hannah barbera well, I would say that, like, and, if you've seen like Adventure Time and things like that, those are some yeah. pretty trippy shows too. So, yeah, for sure, yeah, no doubt. But, but that's I don't not know. the witchy poo. Come on, witchy poo is pretty far out there, you know. Oh. Yeah, and that I mean, just the idea of like a sea monster that walks around on land and talks to you in a costume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, costume. Is- how about how about you remember Lidsville? No, the whole town of hats. No. Oh my, that's, that's like, you're, you're looking at the internet though. You're not doing this from memory. No, I am doing it. For, like, I'd see the, the term there that says yeah. Lidsville, but I know what it is. It's a whole town of hats. Like Lidsville. Lids. Actually, that seems very on brand for you. So I could see you yeah. remembering uh, that. You're, <laughs> yes. you're a lid, you're a lid based guy. I, I, I'm a hat. I wear a hat. I do like a hat. I do like a hat. All right. So this is the nonsense before the show. So I guess Wait, we should get, this is the show. Is it the, the whole show's nonsense. It's just different <laughs> degrees of nonsense. Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, good times, good times. Good times. We're With Scott and Ollie. Hey, so today we are going to, I, I guess it's kind of like a two-parter. two-parter. Um, 
it wasn't intended to be that. But then we started to, as we started to unpack it a little bit, we're like, oh, this could actually lead into the next episode, um, which we're going to talk about, you know, both in kind of tandem. We're going to talk about sense making today. Um, And then next episode, we're going to talk about We're going to make sense of sense making. Oh, wow. I just did that. Thank you. Now carry on. Yeah. And then next time we're going to talk about equity, equity in science education and how science teachers can foster that. And, and they do go hand in hand because I think the practices of you know, how we incorporate sense making into our classroom can make uh, the space a more equitable environment. Um, and so those two things are going to go hand in hand. We've talked about equity a little bit from you know, our series of equitable instructional practices that uh, inclusive instructional practices, you know, when we talked about like phenomenon-based sciences, uh, ambitious science teaching and all that. But I think that these two, we can just dig into sense-making today, you know, from a constructivist perspective, because that's kind of like where, you know, you and I are, right? I guess, maybe. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that. Maybe, maybe it'll come up. Yeah, what those guys are. Rump. Yeah, um, her rump. Let me get a rump out of that guy. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, I think one of the things we were specifically talking about contrasting because in science, especially in the last I don't know ten or fifteen years, there's been a tremendous emphasis on um, argumentation. So especially in the science ed research literature, there's a lot of focus on argumentation, breaking down argumentation into its right. parts, claims, evidence, reasoning. You hear that all the time, like 10, 15 years ago, there was a lot less of that talk. Um, but there's been there's been a huge push um, towards argumentation. And I think um, one of the things that that does, I mean, argumentation is powerful and it, it's definitely a part of science. And it's, it's important. Right. And it's important, right? It's we important, have- but it's a very uh, final form notion of what science is, which is to say, sci- it's the it's the end product where you're making the argument. When you're writing your article and you're submitting it for peer review, that's when you're really making the argument, bringing the data and evidence to bear on your claims and all that. But the vast majority of what scientists do is is can much more can much better be characterized as sense making. So I think that's why that's the other reason we wanted to talk about this is. You know, claims, evidence, reasoning is really important and powerful, as as, as we've said, or as you said. Um, but most of what's going to go on in a science classroom shouldn't be focused on claims, evidence, reasoning, because you lose track of of what you know. Again, a lot of what science is about. And it's also, I think it 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 gets kids away from their own ideas, right? I mean, that the yeah. whole process of sense making is for students to like you know, uncover and examine and, and really think about what they believe and what they understand and how they are making sense of the world, not to go back to the the whole sense-making, defining sense-making by saying sense-making, but like how they see the world um, and then really challenging that and and helping them challenge it and helping them unpack it so that they can get a better understanding of what science is. And I think that this is not a, a practice that's special to science, though. I think sense making, we we kind of like embrace it, but I, I would like to see this this whole sense making thing 
being across the disciplines, right? This is something that, you know, should be happening in math. This is something that should be happening in, you know, because I think about like social studies and like democracy. I mean, there's some sense making needs to happen there too. And how, like how that stuff comes to be and how, you know, kids understand those concepts. So there's lots of places where I think this could be applied, not just in science. I think we embrace it, but, you know, other areas should as well. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, and then, as as we say, and and well, we talked about this too when our uh, our friend of the show and and only guest on the yes. show, Leslie Gates, um, when we talked with Leslie about like there there also are substantive epistemic differences across yeah. disciplines, and so sense making falls into that that category too, just like argumentation does in that, you know, sense making in science looks a little different than it does in other disciplines. But I agree with you that, that this, I I mean, I think at its core, what we, what we mean by sense making in this context, in the learning context is that um, we're, we're not, we're not focused on the right answer and getting kids to know the right answer. Right. I mean, this, which again, we've talked about in lots of different ways, but, but Fundamentally, that's what we're talking about is that if you want people to understand things, they have to make sense yeah. of it, right? If you make sense of it for them, you, you've you not only taken away their agency, but you've also, um, yeah. Agentic. Yeah, agentically. Uh, you, you've not only taken away their, their ability to be the knower and the, 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 the agent, right? I mean, when we talk about agency, mm-hmm. that's what we're yep. really talking about is like, who, who is the scientific knower in the classroom and science classroom should be about the kids being the science knower. Like the, everybody knows the teacher knows the science. There's what's the point of proving that? Like that's, that's just wasting everybody's time. So, so when we're talking about sense-making, we're talking about kids making sense of stuff. And, and that, that's where we transition to this idea, you know, again, front of the friend of the show, Brian Brown's work, uh, <laughs> not a guest on the show. Not uh, yet. Not, not yet. Any day now. Um, but you know, this idea of, if you want kids to make sense of stuff, they have to do it at least initially in their own way, in their own yeah. language and their own words and, and using their own cultural experiences. And, and that's, that's where I think we miss the boat sometimes. Two, two things with that. Um, one, I think it's, it's a really good way for students to better understand how science actually happens. And this is where you started, because I think we, we see argumentation as a process of science, as a process that scientists do. But the sense-making piece is that the thing that you know, we start with as scientists, and this helps you know, engage students in that process. They, rather than seeing, hey, you know, science is all about like, publishing this stuff, there's a lot of stuff that goes before that, right? right. Um, and then the other part of <laughs> jump in and I, I taught with a uh, someone like years ago um, who liked being the expert in the room, like really liked being the expert in the room. Yeah, I don't and, know any people like that. Well, so much so that she would put on the exam, always a question that the students would never be able to answer. And I was like, why would that be on a test? And she's like, I, I need to let them know that I'm smarter than them, that I know more than them. Wow. I know. Like that was a stated objective. And I was like, wow. That is yeah, troubling. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know where that fits on the psychological profile spectrum, but it's not in a in a place that is healthy. It doesn't seem like for for that person. No, no, and 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 she's a she's a. I think she's still teaching science someplace. Probably. Well, that's where uh, that usually works too. Right, and and the the concern for me is that like that is feeding her ego more so than teaching students about science yeah. or teaching or you know or even assessing them. Right, we talked about assessment too. But it's not really even assessing their knowledge. It's just like it's a gotcha, right? Yeah. It's all about the gotcha. You know? Yeah, what, but it, it reflects this, um, you know, the old saw about elementary, elementary teachers teach children and secondary teachers teach content. And the, you know, like, and I still have these conversations with, and I'm sure you do too, with pre-service teachers who, you know, in the beginning, they're coming into your class and they're like, I want to teach physics. I love physics. I'm just so excited. And I can really get kids excited because I'm excited about physics. It's like, "Mm, if you love physics, then you should probably go do physics. But if you, if you love kids learning physics, then we can have a talk about that. And, and I know that that's on some level, that's what they mean. And most of them transition into that talk, but, but there's this sense of like, my job as a, as a physics teacher is to, to love physics and to communicate that love of physics by showing how well I know physics. Right. And it's like, well, you're going to, that, that turns you into, you know, sort of potentially sort of a monster. It's like, you don't want to, you know, in the extreme versions of that, like you don't want to, it's, you become like a bully, which it sounds like what this woman or person, I guess we don't know if the, you didn't, did you gender identify the person? I, I, don't I did. I okay. did. So it wasn't in just in my head. So, no. um, so yeah, I mean, you know, we, kids don't need any more bullies and they certainly don't need teachers who are bullies, right? Like yeah. that, who, who's, who's that helping? Like life's hard enough. Like you don't want to get beat up by the people who are supposed to be helping you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mean to sidetrack us there, but I think that, no, th- no, that it's not a but- sidetrack at all. But I think that is, you know, the motivation for some folks who enter science is that it's not about it's not if it was if they came in and said, you know what, I want to really have my students be able to, you know, make really good arguments, scientific based arguments. I mean, I could get behind that if if they're, you know, saying, oh, I want to help them make sense of the world around them. I get behind that. However, I can't get behind somebody who's just like, I want to show them that I know more than them. Right. I can't get right. behind that. I just can't. Or yeah. that the classroom space is about feeding their own egos yeah. uh, or feeding some other need that they have that is not being met in some other part of their life. Yeah. You know? And that to me is, uh, is, is troubling. Those are troubling things. Yeah. Well, and I guess the interesting thing about this that's, that's also a little ironic is some of those folks like the way that they teach and the way that they do that sort of teaching that you're describing is actually a defense mechanism against the fact that they don't know their content as well as they uh, think they should. And so they're, they're staying on the rails because they know as long as I'm on the rails, as long as I'm lecturing, yeah. I'm not going to be wrong. But if some kid asks me a question about something that I don't know the answer to, then it's going to make me look stupid. It's going to make me look incompetent, whatever it is that they've created this mental image. And I do think that that is one of the constraints. If we go back to the sense-making piece of why science teachers feel uncomfortable with opening up their classroom to allowing kids to sense-make because they're afraid that kids are going to talk about stuff that, that they, the teacher don't understand. And then they'll have to say, Oh, I don't know. Google it. And then, yeah. you know, boy, how are we in a bad place if you're saying Google it? 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting because this comes back to uh, my dissertation, right? I we've not we haven't uh, talked about my dissertation at all, have we? I don't think I so. I think a little one time, but please dissertate yeah, for us. Well, I mean, I, not that anyone wants to hear about my doctoral dissertation, but I think this 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 is important. Um, Scott was my doctoral advisor, as you. You, you, if you've listened, you probably know. And Which is so, why I'm so much older than you. Yes, that's right. And so, um, what what I did was it was a uh, a long term study with two science teachers. Uh, I followed them from before they started student teaching through their student teaching, and then three years after student teaching. And what we were trying to teach them while they were at Penn State. These are two. Um, we're not going to talk about them by name, but mm-hmm. they were they had gone through Penn State's teacher education program um it was all around inquiry inquiry based science and and so this you know the students were um being taught to teach that way and and not you know from lectures not from powerpoints and and so on um and one of the themes that developed from the 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 data i collected was that they felt like they were in a hot spot that was the actual term they used being in a hot spot where they felt like whenever it was an inquiry based um, you know, lesson that they had no idea where it was going to go and they had no control. And that created all the stress for them because they felt like it was going to undermine their expertise in the room. And as new teachers, and both of these were female science teachers, as, as two female science teachers that were beginning the, in the field, they worried about that. They worried, you know, a lot about how it was going to undermine their expertise and what that was going to communicate to the students and what was going to communicate to their colleagues too. And so what ended up happening is near the third year of, of this process of them teaching, actually one left the teaching career altogether. I think, I think she may be a pharmacist now. Yeah. And then the other one is still teaching I think in a much more traditional way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's the challenge we face is that as, as being, you know, having expertise as being the coin of the realm, right. That mm-hmm. like we, I have some expertise, I have this knowledge and I have it to share with you. Yeah. If that's the way that we, you know, examine or hold up science teachers, then any process that doesn't fit into that is going to be less than. Yeah. And this and this goes back for me always, of course, to learning theory, right? Which is like if your theory of learning is that knowledge is abstracted from its context and the point is to communicate that knowledge from one person to another through some sort of transmission model, right? Um, then you think all this makes perfect sense. Like it's, it's perfectly logical to, to organize your classroom this way. Um, so yeah, I think that that's a troubling piece of it. And, and, you know, even then you see, like, if we go back to the sort of claims evidence reasoning stuff, which has become very popular, um, that the sort of metastasized version of that is that there's sort of the correct, CER and there's right. the incorrect CER. So it's not it's not that the purpose of the claims evidence reasoning structure or the evidence re- reasoning claim sometimes mm-hmm. people talk ERC and reversing that but but um that this that that structure isn't productive and useful but when again when you turn it into not only a template but a right. template that has a right answer you you've defeated the purpose of what it's about, right? You've, you've, you've taken away the, the dynamic nature of that kind of talk and turned it into this like 
like, algorithm. It's yeah, an algorithm. It, beca- exactly. it becomes it becomes an algorithm. It's or a heuristic buy, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 now something that is like lockstep. It is a you know um, a geometry proof. It's the five paragraph essay. It's the you know. I mean, there's so many things that we try to do with this in education across disciplines that we take really complex critical thinking type things and you know make a method out of it that is yeah. like you know it's like the scientific method it's just like right. that too you well know, you like, take you take a practice and you turn it into a list right and and that's you know and it was interesting when when we were talking with leslie too about how she sees this in art as being the creation of a um like a, a knowledge base for art for art as a field and and that that in many respects is is doing what we're describing here which is you're taking a practice that's sophisticated and dynamic and contextual and turning it into a decontextualized list of things to do um and then assuming that those are the same things and saying oh okay well you know if you do x y and z then you're doing art and if you do x y and well, I guess it'd be A, B, and C, then you're doing science. Um, and the A, B, C is, you know, you make a hypothesis, you collect data, you bit, 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 right? And so the, the scientific method becomes how you decide whether you're doing science or not. And to be fair, even when we had the scientific method, we weren't doing it. We were just teaching kids those steps. You know, we weren't really engaging them in those steps for the most part. We were just sort of like, here, here they are, learn them. So, okay, so I'm, I'm going to kind of, I, I promise this is connected. But so, so the so there's these, this movement around a big discussion around learning progressions, right? Mm-hmm. So, so so how is that not an an algorithm for teaching? How's that not like a like or is it? I mean, because it sounds to me like that what we're trying to do is rather than you know recognize that there's our learners may have different ways of making sense, you know, and and looking at from an an equity standpoint that, you know, culturally kids come from different places, come to our classrooms with different ways of knowing, different ways of understanding and different ways of describing what they know and understand. But then when we, you know, I don't know, make it into an algorithm where they progress through some sort of learning by some sort of, you know, pre-ordained, and that's research-based. So it's not like, you know, I mean, a lot of that comes from research that says, you know, people move through these this trajectory but how is that not you know yeah well i think i feel like we should have an episode about that rather than drag it into this episode because that's a whole thing unto itself sure learning progressions um because i think it's yeah i think it's a complicated issue i mean i've done i have i have a learning progression that's been published on on geosciences and and i've done that work and and i worked with a a really fantastic postdoc michelle wooten who um she and i were working on a project to we interviewed a bunch of learning uh progressions researchers around the country to talk to them about they're thinking about learning progressions and how they see them and uh, in relation to the questions that you're asking so i think these are these are interesting things. I just want to um, stay in our lane. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, not exactly our lane, but you right. know, our side of the country. I don't know, you know, Yeah, but um, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I, I just, I, cause I think that the whole process of sense-making is, is a little bit more it's it while there's going to be processes is I think that we're going to be able to, uh, recognize as, as being common, just like, you know, the old misconceptions 
research, right? Sure. That like, oh, students can, they, they typically possess these kinds of misconceptions. Well, I mean, I think there's going to, the students are going to come in with ways of understanding, right? Yeah. That there, there's probably some sort of taxonomy for that, right? That, you know, and there, you're going to develop that as a teacher with, they were like, oh, my, my kids typically think this, or kids typically think sure. this based on, you know, their experiences. Um, and then how we do that is going to be an organic process that's going to necessarily be informed by the experiences the students have and the experiences you create in the classroom. Um, but I don't know if all that's going to fall in some sort of lockstep, you know, no. manner. I mean, it's certainly not. But I think the the counterpoint to that is, um, you know, and this is this is this, you know, sort of subtle distinction that we we constantly have to make between like. Um, what we're talking about when we're talking about the kind of science instruction that we're talking about, so sort of ambitious and equitable science teaching and quote unquote discovery, right? Mm-hmm. So what we're not at, uh, uh, when we're talking about sense making, we're not saying, hey, kids, what do you want to talk about today? Let's make sense of it. Like that's yeah. bananas, right? What, what we're doing is we're saying, here's a phenomenon. Here's the happy sad ball or here's a tanker being crushed or here's whatever it is, right? Here's, here's an actual thing. Let's try and make sense of that. So the teacher has constrained the, the conceptual space. The teacher is not saying, we're going to talk about whatever you yeah. guys want to talk about. And, and what that means is once you've constrained that conceptual space, that like you say, you're going to see patterns, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's going to be lockstep, but if you do it for two, three, four years, you're going to start seeing, yeah, kids have pretty much the same general notions because they're reasoning through the same things, right? And they have, you know, even if we talk about differences in culture and experience and expression of ideas, that's all true. But but the uh, the number of ideas you can have about why a ball bounces or doesn't is relatively limited. Like you're not, you're not, and, and a lot of them are not going to make, you know, well, kids won't even say them, but you know, like, oh, there's little aliens in the table that catch right. the ball and throw it. And they like this ball better than that ball. I mean, they can say that stuff, but, um, but that's sort of outlier material. So really the, the question is like, when you're opening up, when you're open up your classroom to let kids do sense-making, it's scary at first because it is not going to be, you're not going to know exactly where it's going to go, but every time you do it, you, you get a little more clarity about the space that you're operating in. And, you know, for, for most science teachers, you teach five classes a day. So that, that learning curve is going to be steep. You're going to get it quickly. You know, you're, the first class you do it with, it's going to be like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. But by third period, you know, you're like, oh, okay. So these guys are basically saying really similar things to first and second period. And and you've got yourself in a rhythm. And it, and again, if you do that for a couple of years, now you've gone through that process, you know, 10, 15 times with different groups of kids. And you as a teacher start to get a sense of, okay, this is the train I'm operating in. And, and I'm not, you know, it's not like crazy all over the place. So, so why, why do you think that it's, it's difficult to, to adopt this? Like, I mean, cause we see, you know, it's, you know, when we go out in the science classrooms, I would say, you know, when I, I go into science classrooms and I, I'm out there, I've been out there a lot this, this past semester. Um, I don't see a lot of this happening, right. you know? Um, and I think some of it comes back to, you know, what we talked about in terms of, you know, being in the hotspot or, you know, expertise or knowledge or, you know, information transfer as being the, 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 the modality, that learning theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you think there are other challenges too, or other obstacles? Like, 
I mean, assessment's probably one, right? That, you know, sure. that the assessment we actually we talked about that in a meeting this week that you and I had right was about like how the assessments are going to drive a lot of you know reform in in our state mm-hmm. but i mean i i i see that it's a much more social experience for students yeah. and that to to me is is something that is what our our students need now not just in science but in general yeah. they need more more social space where they can talk with you know, about ideas in actual, you know, learning environments where, you know, their ideas are valued and explored and examined in a, you know, a respectful way that, I mean, it's mediated by actual face-to-face conversation um, in a safe, respectful space. That to me is something like what it's like, what the world needs now kind of thing, you know, it's. Right. But I mean, so I think, based on what you said or based on your question, I think there's at least two things that I can think of immediately and both are related to the culture of schooling. So one is that for the teacher, and we've talked about this, it's, it's harder, right? It, it is much harder to, to, um, to organize a, a group of students who are organized into small groups to have meaningful conversations about science. It requires scaffolding. It requires facilitation. And those are sets of skills that many teachers don't have because they don't do it. Like they, they don't talk with kids about their ideas. And so that takes time to develop that. It's like, you know, it's like the difference between, I don't know, being an actor and being an improvisational comic, right? I mean, an actor, and that's probably not even, it's like being a orator and being a, uh, a stand-up comic, right? Or an imp- improvisational comic. I guess we should be careful about that because yeah. stand-up comics, they re- re- rehearse and rehearse and rehearse right. and they have their, um, but uh, so may, anyway, I'm getting lost in the analogy. <laughs> the point is, the point is that, um, you know, that's one of the challenges is for the teacher to figure out how do I not just have this, uh, you know, descend into chaos where the kids are just all over the place. And because the second half of the culture of schooling thing that's hard is that the kids aren't used to it. And so they don't know, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but they don't know how to behave, right? That this is a new experience for them where it's like, okay, I'm talking with my peers mm-hmm. about science ideas. How much of this time am I quote unquote allowed to be off task? Because that's a thing that both teachers and students have to get used to, right? Is, is yeah. there's going to be off task, quote unquote, off task talk, but that's the way human beings are, right? You know, it's like, we go, you and I go to meetings and it's not like the whole meeting is on task talk. Like there's lots of like, Hey, Ollie, what'd you do this weekend? And yeah, yeah. I heard, I heard you were making ice cream. How'd the limoncello go or whatever, you know, yeah. it's like all this stuff like that happens. And and do you say, please stop that? That's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about, you know, the new assessments uh, for the Cape, but, but whatever. I don't know. Right. I made that up because that's on my mind recently, but you know, I mean, I think, so I think for me, it's that dual challenge for both the students and the teachers in terms of you're trying to change school culture. And that's hard for everybody involved because, because that's the nature of culture is that it's, it, it structures human activity in, in not rigid ways, but in powerful ways. Sure. And so it is hard to shift that for both the teachers and the students. But I think also the administrators too. I mean, the administrators. Sure. Yeah, I was using I mean, the. You know, no, no, I get it. And, and because I think that, Largely, uh, our administrators don't come from science background. I mean, that's a, I know that that's painting with a broad brush, but I think that's a pretty accurate um, 
you know, assessment of mm-hmm. the field of, you know, educational leaders. They don't come from backgrounds with science. And so they don't know what, you know, good science instruction looks like, except for their own experiences. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I had a, you know, when I was teaching physics, I, I, I think I mentioned this in another episode where I had to, uh, it was going to come in and observe me. A principal was going to come in and observe me. And, and he came in, and he saw what we were doing. He's like, Oh, I'll come back when you're teaching. I'm like, well, then you're never going to come back because this is what teaching looks like in this classroom, you know, and and it was it was hard for him to really grasp that because he was, you know, really expecting this was the guy who measured my flags and, you know, Mm -hmm. and also was the guy who said, I, you know, I shouldn't allow kids to get up and sharpen their pencil or get a Kleenex without asking permission. Sure. You know, so there's a different, you know, position of authority in that classroom than in the classroom that sense-making, you know, affords because mm-hmm. yeah. the authority is the group. The authority is the conversation. The authority is the social experience of discussing ideas and challenging one another. It's not that there's a person up front of the room who's like, I have the knowledge to give. Mm-hmm. And that's what this guy was expecting to see when he came into my classroom. Right. Not that we were necessarily engaging in sense-making in that time, but he had a very different sense of what teaching was than what I was going to show him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. I mean, and that's, you know, when we talk about the culture of schooling, we're talking about all of it. We're talking about all the way, not just up through the administrators in the building and the administrators in the district, but the people who set the policies, the people who write the exams and set the standards and, and everything. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a huge shift, but that also the way culture changes is also locally, right? So we can we can try and shift policy. We can try and make new standards, which we're doing that emphasize practices and things like that. But we also have to have teachers in the classroom who are willing to open up their their um, classes to students doing sense making work, because and it has to happen all at the same time, right? And um, and teachers can do this work. I mean, we've talked about it in multiple case in multiple cases, but it's not like um, you know, I, I, I continue to be frustrated by teachers who say like, Oh, I can't do this because I got to cover it. I got to cover this content for this. You know, we do an exam. We do like, there's always a reason why they don't want to change their practice. And instead of saying, I don't want to change my practice because it's scary or uncomfortable, or I I'm good at what I do. And I don't want to do something different where I'll be bad at what I do for a while. Cause that makes me feel like I'm not a professional or whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, where was I just reading recently that, you know, growth requires discomfort, right? You can't, you cannot, if you're, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. And, and I think that's a thing that is hard to understand, especially if you've been teaching for 10 or 15 years and you're probably comfortable, right? You're doing a good job, at least from your point of view and you feel comfortable. And so the only way to change that is to get uncomfortable. And that's almost by definition, uncomfortable, Ali. Yeah. I just want you to note that. <laughs> That's some wise words there. Thank Scott. you. Yeah. Well, I'm, I wonder... I'm not defining a term with a term. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> that would be horrible. Uncomfortable <laughs> means uncomfortable. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I get it. Hold on. Let me. Can Thank I, you. Can, you should write that down. Yeah. I was going to find a pen to yeah, write yeah. that down. Here, I'll loan you a pen. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder that, you know, one of the things, because you and I have been talking a lot about professional development uh, off you know, off pod- podcast, outside of the podcast, we were talking about, pro- about uh, IRL. Yes. In real life. Yes. Yeah. Outside of the podcast, we've been talking about professional development, but I wonder whether sense-making 
uh, actually is a maybe a uh, a vehicle for doing some of that work too. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Right. Ra- not That's just another as- episode. Now you're, you've thought of uh, we got two episodes coming. I know. Like there. Wow. Woof. Parallel parallel uh, talk with teachers as sense making and and look at that. I know. But I, but I, I'm, I'm thinking about it and because and, I think that some of that needs to get unpacked. Right. And then oh, I'm being to, serious. I think that's a Yeah. The, to address it head on is to get, provide the space for that conversation, to provide that space for that social meaning making. And because I think that some of it is challenging their existing knowledge, existing understanding of learning and yeah. teaching. And that needs to be, you know, challenged. Yep. It's just how, what phenomenon would we use to, to, to do that? That's right. That's the question. Yeah. That's the thing we got to spend some time thinking about. Right. Is, uh, yeah. So that, but, but I think what we've done and now we should transition to joys, but yeah. I think, I think we've defined two things we're going to talk about in the future. So thinking about teacher professional development in terms of sense making and how do we translate that up a level from kids sense making to teacher sense making. Mm-hmm. And then the thing about learning progressions. So we'll get yeah. to those. So, so we have so tune in because uh, lots of good stuff coming. So many good episodes. Yes. All, so all the d- great shows. What what uh what's your joy? Will you have a joy? Sure. Yeah. I'm full of joy. I'm full Are of, you? I'm a, well, I don't know. This time of year I'm 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 sort of limping to the finish here, I gotta admit, but um, but I do have some joys. Um and I'll I'll uh this is not a uh, profound joy either, but it, but it's one that I've been working on this week. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna say one of my joys uh, is Christmas lights, and and we we are doing like more now. My my youngest daughter is a big fan of Chris of the Christmas lights, so she last year like she's been trying to get us to decorate and put put not just lights on the tree in the house, but outside right do do that sort of thing so last year she had us get up um well she got i made her get up on a tall ladder and you know hang lights on the gutters of the house and all that stuff and and um and this year she's away at school and so this week i've been trying to decorate the house a little bit with some lights so when she gets back there's going to be lights for her so so I, you know, I did, I didn't get up on a tall ladder. I'm an old person and old people that like my doctor was like, don't the, the thing that kills people your age is stupidity. And usually that stupidity involves ladders. And so I was like, not that's, getting on a ladder. That's oddly specific. Yeah. Well, he's, he's an oddly specific guy, but anyway, we're not, we're not going to talk about my physician because that would be weird. <laughs> uh, but I will say I, I put some lights over the garage. I put some lights around the front door. I put some lights on a tree in the front yard. Um, I'm going to put some lights on the back deck here today. And uh, But Christmas lights, like it's simple and it makes you happy. And it's like, oh, look at that. The house is sort of lit up. And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to go Clark Griswold sort of crazy. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, a little bit of lights. Uh, it makes me feel a little more festive. So that's bringing me a little joy this week. I, I am a big light guy. I wonder if that's a gendered thing. You know, I wonder whether like, like putting up lights and having like, I, I don't know. Cause I, well, my daughter is the one who pushes for sure. it not in my family. So I, I, you know, we have a lot of lights uh, around our fence, around our, you know, um, front porch and everything. I, we have two Christmas trees in our house with bo- oh, both lit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm all about it. I love it. 
So that's a, that's a, that's a joy I share with you, Scott. So, so the other thing, I guess, about this time of year for me is that it's, it's like, this is the time period where a lot of Oscar nominated or potentially Oscar nominated movies come out. So this, besides like those big holiday blockbusters that get, you know, released, this is always like the time of year where these, these really great movies that are, you know, kind of high cinema things, get released and the, and the cool thing for me right now is a lot of them are getting released in the theaters and then they're coming to netflix or coming to like a streaming service not too far after and so um i've just been you know watching movies like crazy and there's so many more on so some of the movies i've watched recently are power of the dog with benedict cumberbatch which is really odd but really beautiful and troubling uh unforgivable which is sandra bullock which mm-hmm. is also kind of the same thing very troubling um Big twist, you know, it has like, yeah, it kind of very moving. Passing, which is a beautiful movie with Tessa Thompson about um, some people in like the 20s and 30s who are, who are passing as white. Mm-hmm. And that is a great movie. And Bruised, which is sort of like a Rocky movie uh, with Halle Berry. And it's also really, really good because it's it's it, you know because it's it's like a like a rocky movie and who doesn't like rocky right? right but but the but movies movies this is like the movie time go check them out they're all those are all streamable on netflix right now um and yeah so it's i love to i i love to whenever the oscar nominations come out to go yeah i've watched you know as many as possible you know mm-hmm. to say i've seen all of the best actress or i've seen all the best actors you know so that way i, I feel like you know, somewhat knowledgeable about it. You know? So you, you got the new Matrix movie all queued up because that's oh. definitely get some Oscar nods. Oh, I'm 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 here for it too. I'm here for bad. I'm here for bad movies, good movies. I'm here for movies. Like I just love movies. I love cinema. Like some of the ones that I'm, I want to see, Licorice Pizza, which is coming up. Uh, Belfast, I want to see that. Belfast is like high on my yeah, list. That, that looks good too. Yeah, Licorice yeah. Pizza, I've heard great things about. So. Yeah, yeah. So movies, well, movies, movies. As as I have heard uh, about many, many, if not all, the movies that you just named. But that's yeah. yeah there are probably some Oscar nominated films in that. Oh, absolutely. Sure. I, I, Benedict Cumberbatch is going to get a nomination. Um, I think both the actresses in passing are going to get nominated. Uh, Sandra Bullock, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she gets nominated for Unforgivable because it's so outside of her typical, um, you know, fair. Like yeah. she does not play like the uh, the princess. She doesn't play the, yeah. you know, the beauty queen in this. The, the romantic lead. Yeah, she does not. rom-com. It's not any of that in this movie um yeah so or and Halle Berry the same thing so those may all be nominated we'll come back to this and go Ollie was right or Ollie was completely wrong yeah or maybe both who knows could be fun yeah it could be (laughs) either way we'll have Christmas lights and movies over the next few weeks yeah that's awesome all right well hey awesome episode 70 in the books I mean as far as we're concerned every episode is awesome but this was particularly awesome is what you're saying I, they are, they're yes this yes. is the they're most all good but the this most is awesomeness yeah. <laughs> all right on that note see you next time in between 